Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, but I will not be your host for today's episode. You're actually going to be hearing from Steve Kim as he interviews Andy Bannister, the director of Sola Center for Public Christianity. They're actually going to be having a conversation surrounded around Andy's new book that as of right now is available. The book is called How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. Every Christian knows, or at least should know, that evangelism is part of a Christian way of life. Yet, the very idea of evangelism induces panic in so many Christians. So tune into this week's episode as Steve has a conversation with Andy on how Christians might share the gospel in a low pressure way. But coming up at AC, we got a couple events that I got to let you know about before we get to the podcast. So coming up first, we actually have our next AC Literary Expedition. This time, it's called In AI We Trust, A Christian Understanding of Technology. Embark on a thought-provoking webinar exploring the dialogue between artificial intelligence and Christian theology. Navigate the complexities of AI through a Christian framework, emphasizing love, compassion, and justice. Uncover potential pitfalls such as privacy, bias, and human dignity while discovering how AI can align with God's redemptive purposes. Join us in bridging technology and theology for a compassionate and meaningful future. So join us on Sunday, August 27th for a time of learning, discussing, and asking questions. To register, you can head to our event page at apologeticscanada.com slash ACLE, which will lead you to all the coinciding links. After that, we have our launch event. We're super excited to let you guys know about launch. We're pleased to extend an invitation for you and a guest to actually join us. This year, we're having a barbecue and an open house just five minutes across the border in Linden, Washington. Logos Bible Software has gifted us the use of the Grace Manor estate for this event. It is a beautiful property worth seeing in and of itself. So once again, that is September 17th, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time in the United States in Linden, Washington. For more details, Obviously, you can head to our events page. Last but not least, we have the SAS conference coming up. As you may have heard, we have embarked on a brand new series that is called Can I Trust the Bible? But we're actually going to be holding what we would consider a preliminary conference held in Saskatchewan at Briarcrest College and Seminary in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. And we're calling it Why Trust the Bible? This will be September 20th and 21st. Look, the Bible is the most important book of the last two millennia. From sitting at the formation of governments, cultures, and law, this collection of ancient documents has shaped the modern world in ways you may never have realized. However, while the Bible's influence has remained, central attitudes toward it have radically shifted. Once referred to as the good book, many view the Bible with skepticism. So Apologetics Canada, in partnership with Briarcrest College and Seminary, is proud to host Why Trust the Bible. Join us this September to take a closer look at the reliability, relevance, and truth claims concerning the most printed, published, translated, and circulated book in the world, the Bible. To register, head to apologeticscanada.com slash conference23-sk-fall forward slash. Hope to see you there. That's all from me. And now for the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Steve. Today, I have a very special guest. I actually was thinking about when I met Andy Bannister. Uh, turns out it was almost exactly 10 years ago. I'll get into a little bit more of, of that later. But yes, we have on the line all the way from the UK, just across the pond, uh, Andy Bannister. Andy is the director of SOLAS, Center for Public Christianity, Andy, it is such a treat to have you on the show. It's uh, great to be with you, Steve. And that's terrifying, mate, that it was 10 years. 
since yeah. we, we obviously we were 21 <laughs> when we met obviously early 20s when we met since then we have gained uh noticeably more gray hair and in my Speak case i lost <laughs> almost yeah. all of my hair i won't yeah. mine's going I, I, I won't lean forward mine I'm, I'm i'm catching you up slowly oh okay okay but yeah uh it was almost 10 years ago it was uh, i met you in person for the first time at our apologetics canada conference and you were talking about the the challenge of different worldviews mm. to Christianity, and I remember that uh, very clearly because I'd been uh, kind of following you online at that point a little bit, so I was a little starstruck. And then just um, yeah, we had a great weekend of ministry. I this was actually before I even started working with Apologetics Canada officially, so I was it was it was a real treat to see you, and treat to see you, and actually. Andy Steiger, our yeah. head honcho, interact. By the way, our listeners and viewers, you have to see these two guys, two Andys put together. It is just, they're walking comedy together. So <laughs> anyway, all of that said, today uh, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about this book that you recently released. In fact, um, as of the date of this recording, your book was released just yesterday Canada. Yes. Uh, how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. Now, that's quite a title. It is quite a title. And uh, actually, our Andy has written an endorsement for that book. Uh, I'll just read it real quick. Having worked with Andy Bannister on various evangelistic events for years, I can confidently say that he knows how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. In this book, he teaches the rest of us how to do the same. Uh, besides ha being highly entertaining, Andy provides an accessible treasure trove of real-world insight and practical tips. If you love Jesus and want to share that love naturally and effectively with others, this is a must-read and reread. I have to say, I got the advanced review copy, and I started reading through it, and I was like, man, this is so good. Now, this book is obviously a response to something, a response that we Christians often have in the sort of the day, everyday place, mm -hmm. where whether it's work or school, whatever it might be. So can you tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. why this book? Well, what prompted you to write this? Yeah, that's a great question, um, Steve. And you can tell Andy Steiger the 20 bucks for that review is, is in the mail. I'll get that to him. <laughs> um, first thing to say, by the way, the title, I love the title because I didn't come up with it. I was actually speaking at a missions event in Winnipeg uh, about mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And uh, they'd given me the title, something really dry, like how to talk about your faith at work or university in a way that is engaging and winsome. It was this horrible title. <laughs> so I, got, I jumped on a conference call with two of the organizers, and over 20 minutes, we brainstormed out better titles. And so between us, this emerged. So I'm not mm. fully sure which bit was me and which bit was others, but it was born in Canada. Um, but in one sense, to answer your, your bigger question, Steve, it begins earlier. So I, I begin in the book by telling the story of when I was in my first job. So when I was in my early 20s, worked for a public hospital in London, in England. And although outside of work, I was very involved in, in church, very active Christian, inside work, I was, as I describe it in the book, an undercover Christian. I was afraid of mm -hmm. talking about Jesus. I was afraid I would look like an idiot. I was afraid I would make Jesus look like an idiot. I was afraid I'd get asked questions mm -hmm. I couldn't answer. All kinds of fears, Steve. So I said nothing. And uh, now as life went on, I eventually, you know, later on learned what I should have done when I was there in the in working for the uh, the health service. But in one sense, this is the book 
I wish if I had a time machine, I could send back and give to my 20 year old self. But what's then happened is since then, I have met so many Christians, Steve, with similar stories. who tell me at university, mm-hmm. school, among friends, at work, wherever it is, they are just not sure where to begin. They're afraid uh, and really afraid. And so they say nothing. And so what I wanted yeah. to do was, you know, write a book for ordinary people. There are lots of quite high level books, I think, on apologetics mm-hmm. out there. Brilliant, brilliant books written for brilliant people. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to write, you know, a book that is so entry level that whether mm-hmm. you've been a Christian for six days or been a Christian for 66 years, it's helpful, but that assumes yeah. nothing and that anyone could get to, uh, to grips with. Yeah. And one thing I really appreciate about your book, Andy, is that uh, when it comes to apologetics, a lot of, like you mentioned, there are a lot of great books and other resources out there, but a lot of them have to do with the what of apologetics, yes. whether it's this argument or that argument. But then there are not very many books on the sort of the how of things. How do I actually, now that I know that I'm equipped, let's say, if if we're mm. lucky enough to be equipped with you know, various arguments for God's existence, let's say, but how do I actually bring that to the table when I'm talking with my friends and colleagues and family members? So I really appreciated that this is, a, is one of the few books mm. on the how of apologetics. You mentioned that you were an undercover Christian. Yes. when you were at work and and there were so many things that i really resonated with for example you say this in the book it's a little i picked this one out because it's so representative it gives you a flavor of the sort of the sort of your writing style here that i think our listeners would appreciate in the scriptures i would read passages like ephesians 6 which talks about the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation meanwhile my own spiritual attire seemed more akin to the flip-flops of fear the socks of silence and the underpants of uncertainty um i i think that i think that's the case for a lot of christians yeah. there's a lot of fear where where does that fear come from what do you think this is yeah i i think you're right and i think i think being very honest about that, I mean, you know, I wrote that because it's also funny, hopefully, but it was also very much where I where I was. And, and one mm-hmm. thing I think Steve doesn't help is sometimes, and maybe this is partly to begin answering your question, when I was a younger Christian, and I think the same goes on today, I remember looking around and going, there are all these brilliant men and women out there who are so clearly superbly gifted, I've got no hope. I remember I, in 1989 mm-hmm. or something, when I was a, a teenager, Billy Graham came through London. I remember mm-hmm. going and seeing him preach. And it was not an encouraging experience because I went forward and I went and saw him do his thing, saw lots of people go forward, was very grateful and grateful to God for him, but came away going, man, I couldn't do that. There was no way mm-hmm. that translated into what it looks like in my workplace. And then I remember in Canada, because I was in Canada from 2010 to 2016, the organization I worked for then, we brought John Lennox out. John is brilliant. We had mm-hmm. two and a half thousand people come and hear him in Toronto. And then we looked at the feedback. And lots of people in the feedback said things like, oh, so grateful to God for, to God for John. I couldn't do what he did. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to my colleagues going, yeah. man, that on the one level is not good. We want to build people mm-hmm. up, but we don't want to tell people we need the superheroes. So what were we afraid yeah. of? So I think one fear is like, well, who do I copy? Where are the role models? There aren't any, so we get afraid. Secondly, I think there was fear of looking looking stupid. Look, we all want to be liked, right? We are social creatures. God has wired us that way. And none of us really want to be alienated from our friends. So with that fear of being socially ostracized, fear of standing out, fear of getting in trouble in today's age, right? We're afraid that we talk about our faith and suddenly people go, oh, you're one of those 
homophobic, transphobic, bigoted Christians. And we're like, we're so mm. terrified of those adjectives that we say nothing. And then, of course, the mm. other big one is what if we get asked a question I can't answer? That was that was paralyzing mm-hmm. for me. You know, what if I'm asked about science or sex or suffering or a topic that doesn't just begin with S? You know, what do I do? So those, I think, were the, were the fears. Um, and right. there are lots of those like them, or maybe people listening to this, you know, if they could put their hand up, would go, well, that's great, but I've got a more a different fear, and it's, and it's this. But the fear is the big thing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, earlier you mentioned the sort of, you know, seeing Billy Graham and, you know, seeing somebody like John Lennox and thinking maybe evangelism is for these professionals, these specialists, mm. perhaps forgetting that the Great Commission was given to all of us as as Christians. Yeah. You lead these stories with often with, okay, this friend I know, so and so, or yeah, mm. this this gal I've worked with, or you know this person that I met. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really down to street level. Like I'm assuming that was very intentional on your part. Yeah, it was, and for very similar reasons to what you described. That I, one of the things I was very struck by, Steve, as I worked on this book, I was like, okay, how do I avoid the same thing I've just described? How do I avoid people not reading? The book or reading the bio or looking at who I am and going, well, okay, Andy Bannister, it's all right for you. He may not be John Lennox, so you haven't got a tenth of his education, nor his lovely Irish accent, but you know, you're educated, you've got a PhD, you've been doing this professionally, it's easy for you. Now, of course, that's not true because one thing that people don't see is that for even for those of us who are public ministry, I probably have the same struggles talking to my next door neighbor as someone who mm. is not in full-time ministry has talking to their next door neighbor. Any body who's trained can stand on a stage and be quite an impressive apologist. It's not mm-hmm. difficult. It takes time, it takes practice, but there's a roadmap to it. It is mm-hmm. hard in those one-to-one relationships. That's the first thing. And then right. secondly, yeah, as I was planning the book, it suddenly occurred to me, what the light bulb moment, Steve, was actually about three years ago. We ran a series on the Solas website called Frontlines, where we every two weeks, we interviewed a different Christian in a different workplace. I don't want to say ordinary because I don't believe anyone's ordinary, but regular run-of-the-mill guys and girls. We had, you know, an airline pilot, a teacher, a someone who just worked in the office, a member of parliament, a whole range of different professions. And we just interviewed people about how they shared their faith at work. And what struck me was there were some great stories and most of them were not glamorous. They were not people doing you know, tremendous, exciting things. They were being faithful, they were being consistent, and they figured out ways that fit their personality in their setting. And the feedback we got through the Solas website, that was one of the most popular series we have ever run. Because I think people mm. were like, man, that guy, girl is like me, or that guy is like mm-hmm. me. And so when it came to write the book, that was a, a big part of it. And then the other part, Steve, genuinely, what helped me go from being an, an undercover Christian to being a more public Christian, this was years before I started standing in front of audiences, this was just in everyday life, was meeting friends who modeled for me how evangelism looks like, and they were not Billy Graham. You know, it was friends mm-hmm. who were just sharing faith in ordinary ways, and some of their stories have found it into the into the book. And that, by the way, is one lesson for how we cure the fear thing. Rather than think, man, I need to be like John Lennox, what about looking around your church and going, okay, mm-hmm. who in my circle of Christians is better not a rocket, not a superstar, just just better and more confident than I am at talking about their faith. How might I learn from them? Are there things mm-hmm. that they're doing that I could do? Could I talk to them? Could I learn from them yeah. and take little baby steps towards being that bit more confident? So yeah, I thank you for spotting that. I hope as people read the book, there'll be stories mm-hmm. of folks in there that people will resonate with and go, that person's like me. 
if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And, and what I love about these stories is that not only are these sort of your regular run-of-the-mill people, but it's also the regular run-of-the-mill settings. It's not just some big lecture that you go to or some evangelistic outreach event or anything like that. It's just sort of blooming where you're planted, as it were. Mm. So then connect the dots for our listeners, because you looked at all these examples of evangelism and you found a common thread. So what is that? The common thread that I found as I then looked at all these folks that were doing evangelism, I think there are seven stories, one chapter in the book where I, where I share sort of seven of them. And the common thread, Steve, is that they'd all figured out that asking questions in their evangelism, in their conversations, was very, very helpful and very, very powerful. Now, a couple of things here. Que- that the questions are really helpful tool is not a surprise. Firstly, Jesus asks them. You look at the Gospels, mm-hmm. Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels. It is a staggering number. And so one of the things that was a great fun actually doing in the book was going through and looking at quite substantively, actually, at quite a lot of different questions that Jesus asks and extracting what can we learn from that conversation that Jesus did had a question at the heart of it. How can we learn to ask questions like Jesus? And then the other thing, of course, there have been great books written on questions over the years. I love calling out the good work of others. So, you know, you've got someone like Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. One of the things I wrote this book, I remember looking at Tactics and thinking it's a brilliant book. But again, I think it's a bit higher level. And my hope is people would read my book and then read Greg's book. And it would give mm-hmm. them a leg up into that world. Randy Newman, Questioning Evangelism. I'd love to give Randy a shout out. Brilliant book. Um, and so, yeah, others have figured out, you know, questions are helpful. And so, yeah, that's what the heart of the book is, is, is figuring out the importance of questions. And then what I do is teach four basic questions that you can use time and time again in different settings. The key thing here is not as a formula. I don't think we can use questions as a formula. Just go and ask this question Mm -hmm. parrot-like. But there are particular types of question that I think if you can learn to use, we can create normal conversations. And that's the other big theme in the book. If we can rather make evangelism this weird thing where we're trying to do jujitsu on somebody and sort of, you know, manipulate them into faith or where we're just trying to you know sort of show off our intellectual smarts none of those are really got a gospel centered mm-hmm. we can just learn to have natural conversations uh, then and pray over those god can work through them and questions are very helpful on the way to that end and one thing again as i was reading your book one thing that stood out to me is that these are everyday people everyday settings and also everyday conversations it wasn't contrived in a way uh, a lot of the times, the stories that you shared was, in a sense, reactive. It's not like the Christian is going out of his way to, you know, with a, I mean, you kind of joke about that, right? Reading this massive Bible on the bus with a hat with a blinking Jesus fish symbol on it. But, you know, all, all jokes aside, it often happened in the context of an mm. everyday conversation where your friend or colleague or family member says something and you simply react to it. And I think, one thing that's really great about that is that it takes the pressure off of you to artificially mm. create opportunities, yes. but you, in a sense, roll with the opportunities that present themselves, would you say? Yeah, I would say absolutely. And I think that's, that's important for, for, two, for two reasons, one of which I cover in the book and one of which if I had more space, I wish I'd done more on the book. The one that's in the book is prayer. One thing I've noticed over the years, I've read quite a look at lot of books on apologetics that don't have much about prayer 
in them. And that's not a critique because all the people who've read the, written those great books that I've enjoyed reading, I know they're great men and women of prayer, but the prayer often gets sidelined. And I've really appreciated learning from friends. And actually, I've got one particular colleague at Solas who's just such a faithful prayer. And I've learned a lot from him about actually prayer is often the missing ingredient. And if we pray, Steve, the nice thing is pray for opportunities. Start each day praying, mm-hmm. going, Lord, would you, would you send opportunities my way? Would you create opportunities? Would you draw my attention to them? And if they don't come, that takes the pressure off. You have faithfully prayed and keep praying. Mm-hmm. It may be that God has not got that day in mind. He's got something else for you to do that day. And then rather than try and engineer things, your job is then to be sensitive to what the Spirit has already done. Uh, and then afterwards, of course, when you had conversations, pray over them afterwards. So I think we cannot mm-hmm. do enough prayer around evangelism, right. pray for opportunities, takes the pressure off. And then, by the way, the other thing with looking for opportunities in everyday life that occur naturally, the other thing I've realized a lot over the years is that there are different evangelistic styles. You know, there are some of us who are more stand up the front and a loud mouths. You know, me and the likes of Andy Steiger, you know, we fall into that category. <laughs> um, there are others who aren't. But if you're a quieter, softer person, sometimes you can end up going, well, evangelism is not for me because I don't have a motor Mm. mouth like those guys. But it might be that your gift is hospitality and making people Mm -hmm. feel welcome. Well, what about using that? What about opening your home up, inviting the neighbors in, having your home full of people, praying over those opportunities, praying that there'd be natural times in the conversation over the meal where the conversation goes in directions where it's much quieter, much less flashy, but there's ever even more powerful opportunity for you to talk about what Jesus means to you, and you've done it in that setting. And I think, again, mm-hmm. thinking about reactively how we look for those opportunities and perhaps you know create the fertile soil for those opportunities and pray, again, you will see far more fruit than feeling that you have to go out and manipulate everything. Because I think people spot manipulation, and mm-hmm. it can be a turnoff. And one more thing I'd like to highlight from what you said earlier before we move into sort of the the kinds of questions that you mentioned earlier is that it seems that we need a bit uh, more of a creativity, if you will, rather than Mm -hmm. having a certain set of questions that you follow almost kind of, you know, as, as you almost recite them. Right, just word yes. for word, and in fact, you share this story. I, I found it really humorous. This story of of you role playing with a friend, and then oh, you yes. giving him an answer that's rather unexpected. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Yes, yeah, so sorry. I, I, I think it is. I forget the exact details because um, it happened a while ago, and you know, every author doesn't memorize the entire of their book. But yeah, we were role playing this thing. He, well, he, I think he'd come back from a seminar from memory. And he learned this great technique for sharing his faith. And he said, oh, can I try it out on you? And I went, absolutely, you, you go for it. So he asked me a question and I responded and he got very excited. Then he asked the next question. And then I remember saying something and he stopped and went, no, 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 hang on. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say this. And I went, well, I don't want to say that. I want to say this. And it completely threw him because he'd got this set of tracks mm-hmm. that he'd laid out. And I was, I role playing the non-Christian was supposed to roll yeah. down them. And I wasn't being difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was being particularly difficult. I just think I was being slightly off left field. The, the serious point there, Steve, is that's a problem, right? If you learn a mm-hmm. gospel presentation that, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and your friend doesn't want to go that way, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. The other problem is if you are very woodenly committed to starting points, you have a problem. You know, you say to your friend, hey, can I talk to you about God? And your friend goes, no, I'm not really into God. You're like, oh, it's truth. Uh, what do I do? I don't know where to go now. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've been more relaxed, and that's another story I share in the book of a friend of mine who had that very example. He 
chatting to somebody at our university students. The student said, oh, I'm not really into God, finding out my friend was a Christian. And rather than be perturbed, my friend just segued into, oh, well, interesting, what are you into? Mm-hmm. And uh, the student said, well, I'm into love. And then the conversation went from there as they explored what, mm-hmm. what love meant, you know, if you were a Christian or you were an atheist. Um, so, yeah, I think being flexible, being a little bit creative. And by the way, if this is your personality type, if it isn't, don't try it. But if it is, be, be funny. Be willing to laugh at yourself a little bit. Be mm-hmm. be winsome. You want people to go away going, I enjoyed that conversation with Steve. You know, we didn't agree with yeah. everything. But we, we talked about faith in a way that wasn't freaky. Yeah. You know, it, I really appreciate what you're saying there because um, I should say some Christians tend to take themselves a little too seriously, in my opinion. But oh, when definitely. you when you are ready to lay that down, I have seen how conversations flow so much easier. In fact, a, a couple months ago, Andy and so our Andy and myself, mm-hmm. we found ourselves on the East Coast. So we were in New Brunswick for some speaking engagements. And we were at this restaurant. And I remember the server who had actually moved there from Toronto, um, and was really kind of enjoying the slower pace in New Brunswick there. Um, but she, when, when she learned that, you know, we were Christians, she started opening up about how she took some interest in school, um, you know, in religion. And so she studied a little bit of that. And, and then at some point, I don't think she meant this as a sort of, um, you know, as a jab against us, but she just mentioned the fact that, yeah, you know, there are these ancient writings where you see these clergymen or shamans or whatever that are kind of corrupt and they're tricking people into giving them resources. And, you know, they, they were, they were very greedy. And I remember Andy kind of sitting there chuckling saying, well, not much has changed, has it? Right. And we all laughed about it. And, it just you could see the demeanor change in this yes. server lady and we Fantastic. were able to have a lot more conversation yeah love that very very quickly by the way on that point because i think you've touched on something so important there steve as, as well i just want to f- flag it up the other thing i think is so crucial as christians is mm. don't get unnecessarily defensive for example mm. if someone criticizes the church we can very naturally go into well you know hang on a minute that doesn't happen in my denomination or if somebody mentions some alternative spirituality they're into we can get all defensive and, mm-hmm. and feel we need to correct them before you know we talk about our faith or mm-hmm. you know ancient writings you know be very easy to go well yeah ancient writings but the bible is what really matters i, yeah. I love Acts 17 in the new testament because when paul wanders around athens mm-hmm. sees all the statues and idols and everything sees the salt the actual the salt the altar the unknown god he doesn't go off on one about polytheism. He starts as a building block. He starts when he speaks to the Areopagus. He's like, you Athenians, you're brilliant. You're so religious. I was so impressed. Mm-hmm. Try and be winsome and warm. Find something you can affirm and connect with at the mm-hmm. start. People are going to be much more open. So yes, we, we care about truth and we're going to need to engage and there may be things we want to critique. Don't start there. Start mm-hmm. trying to build bridges. Absolutely. Let's move on to the questions that you mentioned. There are four W questions. You kind of that's how you break them down. There's the what questions, the why questions, wondering questions, and the weather questions. Mm-hmm. But the question that uh, that really drew my attention uh, was the wondering question because mm-hmm. earlier, actually, you said when you were role playing uh, with this friend of yours um, from the book, one of the things that what you did 
in that situation was actually you played the apathetic atheist yes. where I don't really oh, yes. care yes. if God exists. And and you say that the wondering questions can really help. So yeah. let's let's start from there. What what is special about the wondering questions? What sets it apart from yeah. say the what and the why questions? Yeah, so the what and the why questions, I won't deal with those. You can read the book. Those are great if you're dealing with a skeptic or somebody with a pushback. You're talking about faith and they say, yeah, but what about? They raise a question. And the what and the why can help deal with that. What I noticed, though, Steve, over the years, and I'm sure this goes for for, for you and for listeners too, a lot of my friends are not skeptics. A lot of my friends, they're not people who are anti or hostile or negative. They just don't believe. They're apathetic. They're disinterested. You know, on surveys, they would tick the no religion box. They're not necessarily atheists. Often they'll just say, I'm not interested in religion or I'm no religion. I tell the story in the book of one of my oldest friends, his name is John. He was this category. He had a faith when he was a teenager, walked away from it in his late teens. And the first time he and I tried to talk about faith, he just said, Andy, I'm not into God, not interested. You know, I got the job mm-hmm. I want, the woman I want, the car I want, the apartment I want, you know, not interested in God. And those are tough conversations to get into. And we can sometimes feel we're trying to nail fog to the wall, trying to begin mm-hmm. if our friends are like, yeah, I don't really care. The wandering question, though, I think is where things get interesting, because many, many people, in fact, the person I first got this from was the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor and his big Mm -hmm. fat book, Secular Age, uh, that thankfully other brighter people than me have read and summarized so you don't have to read the whole thing. Um, But one of his big takeaways, one of the big takeaways from that book, um, yeah, read James K.A. Smith, How Not to Be Secular. Um, One of the big takeaways from that work is that we live in this age in Canada, Europe, North America, um, UK where people would say they're not religious, but there are these sort of ghosts of transcendence, to use the posh phrase, hanging around. People believe in things that really are hangovers from a spiritual age. People believe that human rights matters. They believe that justice is real. It's not just a fiction. They believe there's a purpose to life and a meaning. They believe that beauty is something to get excited about. They believe that music is significant. The list of things goes on. All these things that we care the most about you know, we're told on the one hand by our secular friends, only atoms and particles exist, but we get excited about things that don't work if there are only atoms mm-hmm. and particles. And what you do with a wandering question, you're looking for something your friend cares about, and you're gently asking, you know, I wonder why that matters to you. I wonder why that's significant. I wonder where that idea comes from. And so my friend John, who I mentioned there, I recall discovering, noticing he had an Amnesty International sticker on the back of his car. Mm. And I remember that cracked open a conversation around around dignity. You know, why did he value that organization? And I didn't leap straight in, by the way, with the apologetics. I, I, I took an interest. <laughs> I asked him about it. Yeah. Why do you care? What, what are you excited about? Any particular campaigns that you're into right now? And he got very animated. And then when it felt appropriate, it was the time to go, do you know, I wonder why we care so much about human rights. Um, you know, and I just wonder whether human rights makes more sense if there is some kind of God behind the universe than if we're just atoms and particles. And the wandering question is great because it works on so many things. You know, I wonder if, you know, why music moves us. I wonder why we care about love and the list goes on. And by the way, I mentioned mm-hmm. Acts 17 earlier. Paul does this routine in Acts, Acts 17. He basically says, I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that this unknown God that you're into, if there might be something going on here. I wonder if actually it might be helpful to think about who that God is. And so Paul takes something they care about and then builds a gospel bridge off it. 
<laughs> I, wonder, I wonder. No pun. No pun intended. Uh, but I wonder if the reason the wonder question is so effective is not. It, it's that this is not the sort of question that shoves things into the throats of people who don't want it, but it's rather an invitation, right? Well, let's let's think about this. Let's imagine. Let's open up our imagination together and let's think about this. Uh, would you say? I would definitely say. I think for, I think it's very invitational. As you say, you don't have to start with God. This is the nice thing, because if you're dealing with people who say they're not interested in God, so I mentioned earlier the story of my friend who was confronted with that student um, who said, I'm not into God. And my friend Mike said, so what are you into? The student said, I'm into love. And, uh, and then my friend Mike sort of said, well, you know, what is love? Have you thought about love, mm-hmm. what it means? Have you ever wondered about it? And they chatted for a bit, and the student sort of said he hands. And then I recall my friend telling me that he said to the student, well, I'll tell you what, that you're, you, you would say you're an atheist. I guess. And the student was, yeah, I think so. So Mike said, okay, why don't I offer you a definition of love based on atheism and see what you think? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, so why don't we say that love is a chemical reaction uh, triggered by, you know, our brains uh, to convince us to pair bond with somebody typically the opposite sex so we can reproduce and pass on our DNA. Does, is that a good definition of love? Funny thing was the student said, yeah, that's, um, that's not a bad idea. But his girlfriend was standing next to him. She's like, what? Are you insane? And uh, <laughs> there was back. But then what was interesting is he chatted with them. Both these students were actually quite unhappy with that definition. And then mm-hmm. Mike was able to say, look, have you ever wondered then, why does love move us? Why do we get so excited about it? Why is it we so passionate about it? And why do we definitely not think it's just chemistry mm-hmm. that it's more than there? So that was from somebody yeah. who said, I'm not interested in God. And then he was able to naturally say, I just think that things like love possibly make more sense if there is a God behind the, mm. the universe. And yes, yeah. it's invitational. It starts where people are. It's non-threatening. And you can you can let the other person speak too. You can get their impressions. What do they think rather than just preaching? So let's say for somebody like that, Christianity actually has a lot of gifts to offer the Christian worldview, I think, like things like we can make sense of love, dignity, mm-hmm. um, the beauty of the world, oh, yeah. that, that beauty is not just some chemical reaction that's happening and it's just a matter of pure perception or things like that. And on the other hand, for somebody who kind of, as with a lot of my friends from high school, actually, people who come from some kind of a church background, but perhaps by the time you you know them. They've all walked away. This this wondering question actually highlights the fact that they've actually left some very precious things behind when they left yes. Christianity. Get all the groundings for the things that they care about. I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason why the wondering question is quite effective. I think that's absolutely right. And I think what I like though is that whole "what makes the best sense." is a much gentler, more invitational way of approaching it than dinging people around the head with going, okay, here's a five-point argument, you know, or a very clever syllogism that I've kind of, you know, memorized from some wonderful book on philosophy that might be intellectually mm-hmm. totally rigorous, but doesn't connect with the person. Mm-hmm. So I think it's that. And the other thing you said there, Steve, that struck me as well, I've also got a growing hunch, and I don't talk about this in the book because it's not a book on this, but mm-hmm. I've got a growing hunch that you talk about young people who've walked away from their faith. You know, we know that stat, you know, Canada, it's about 70, mm-hmm. 75% of people walk away, right, at, at college or university, same in the UK. 
one reason I have a hunch that some young people walk away from their faith in, in, in those university years is they've got so narrow a view of what being a Christian is. If you grow up in a church mm-hmm. where you think being a Christian is just memorizing the statement, you know, God loves me, I'm a sinner, Jesus died for my sins, now I'm going to heaven. I sing a couple of hymns, know, know a few Bible passages, and church is just these four walls and the 200 people I've seen every Sunday since I was three years old. No wonder that is just so small that the moment you see anything that looks remotely big, you're going to walk away. But if you can help Christian young people get a grasp of the wandering thing and saying your Christian Mm. faith is not just about you and God and Jesus. Uh, Your Christian faith also affects all the things that you care about. It's got to do with love and meaning and truth and science and everything. It's so big. And one of my favorite C.S. Lewis Uh quotes is that line where Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe Mm. the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Get that vision, get that, you know, into the, into the, into the veins of young people. And I think you empower Christian young people to walk tall and go, man, this faith thing is big. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is um, yeah. bigger than you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, now with the wondering question though, at, at some point you want to, turn to the person of Jesus or turn to the sort of the meat of Christianity. Um, so how do you do that? Hmm. Well, there's a couple of ways you could, you can do it. So on the, on the, let's start with the latter very quickly. So that as you put it, the meat of Christianity, the fourth question I teach in the book, and I feel a bit of a fraud actually, because it's really an extension of the third question. It's a sort of, you know, question 3.5 is when you can say something like, and we touched on it a moment ago, I wonder whether, the Christian faith makes better sense of the things that we're talking about. And rather than ding them around the head and go, see you crazy pagan, you know, obviously atheism mm-hmm. is false. Obviously Christianity is true. Come on. Um, that's a bit strong. And I think people run a mile, but if you gently go, I wonder whether these things might make more sense if, so that's the weather question. That's mm-hmm. a starting point, but then Jesus is the key thing, right? Because I'm a firm believer, you know, like you, like you, I'm an apologist. But I have to recognize that any apologetic that doesn't either begin or end with Jesus, quite frankly, is just intellectual posturing and doesn't deserve the title Christian. So we need to get from our conversations to Jesus. And the way I introduce in the book that I found so helpful over the years, Steve, is just to look for natural ways to say when, the, when it's appropriate, when you feel the spirit nudging you in the conversation to say something like, this reminds me of something that Jesus said or this reminds me of something that Jesus did, or this reminds me of a, of a story that Jesus told. I bridge across to Jesus and the gospel unapologetically. Don't, don't feel you have to, you know, dance around it when it's right. And one of the stories I tell in the book, you know, I had a very powerful experience this couple of years ago. We were doing university mission, got ch- chatting to a young girl who'd come, a young student who'd come, who said she was really interested in Jesus, quite attracted to Jesus, but was totally put off by from Christianity, by all the scandals rocking the church, you know, leaders who had mm. abused their power in all kinds of ways. I remember looking at her and thinking, gosh, what do I do here? Because this is this is a really powerful question. You could see she was really emotionally invested in the question. Mm-hmm. And so as I sort of quietly prayed, I found myself drawn to this approach. And I just said, you know, I share your utter disgust at these stories we've seen in the paper and newspaper. I, I, I utterly share your disgust because they are totally antithetical to how Jesus behaved i said in fact i'm reminded of the story of when jesus washed his disciples feet i said have you heard that story and she said oh i haven't my colleague was with me sort of you got a moment can we take a look and she went yeah yeah no go for it so we cracked open a bible read that story 
discussed it with her for a bit. We started basically an impromptu Bible study broke out because we were able mm-hmm. to talk about the text and how countercultural it was. And then that naturally led to another moment like that where I was able to say, you know, and this conversation also reminds me, of course, of what Jesus did at the end of his life when he gave his life and laid it down. And here's somebody with ultimate power who didn't victimize others but became a victim. And we talked a bit about the, the cross and so forth. And it was a very natural way to then end by saying, look, any leader whose behavior doesn't in some sense remind you of Jesus doesn't deserve the title Christian. And hallelujah, she took a Bible. We offered her a Bible. She was happy to take it. We gave her a copy of Mark's gospel. We underlined Mark 10, 45, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. And to me, it was a beautiful reminder that we could have tried clever arguments and church history and, you know, things aren't that bad and, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever. Didn't, no need for that. Just, it was a natural mm-hmm. opportunity just to, to bring her into that discussion of, of Jesus and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that That's the really, that's the part that I find a lot of Christians really struggle with is that kind of pivoting to the person of Jesus because, and, and there's a lot of sort of trepidation that goes into it because if you're like, okay, this is, this is it. This is where I lose this person. This is where they're going to think I am this crazy person. But I just found that this, the, the approach that you present in the book, asking the good questions and already asking the what questions and the why questions and as you're wondering together, this all really sets the stage for that pivoting. It's not as though you start with the, that immediate pivoting, and um, so you kind of set mm. the set the ground for it. And one of the yeah. things that that you mentioned on, on that note, one of the things that you mentioned that really stood out to me is the way we look at evangelism. If you go say, if you're going from one to a hundred. Mm. That it's a it's a process, right? Like we always have this. We put this pressure on ourselves as Christians, yeah. where we want to go from zero to a hundred right there within five minutes. You know, if you have five minutes, just pull out John three sixteen. Um, but how do you how do you look at that? What you, you share that? Yeah, as, that was um that was an insight that I got from my friend Randy Newman, who I mentioned earlier, and and Randy got it from others. But I always like to credit where I get things from. And uh, I remember Randy sharing that idea with me once that if you think of a scale from A to Z. And A is a complete pagan, as far from Christ as they could possibly be. And Z is a new believer rejoicing and just giving their life to Christ. As you say, we often think about, gosh, how can I talk to my friend at work and get them from from A to Z in one big leap? But what about Mm -hmm. take the pressure off? What about pray? Okay, Lord, could you use me next time I talk to Bob or Jane at work or whoever? I would love to just help move them along that scale. And if in the conversation you have with them, and perhaps the six months you've worked in the same team at work, you have some conversations, and God uses you to move that person from B to F, brilliant. Okay, they're not a Z yet. You want to keep praying for them. Maybe God has someone else in mind whose job is going to pick your friend up and take them on a bit and on a bit and on a bit. And the great insight here, actually, as I remember thinking about, about that, it occurred to me, do you know, the light bulb moment was most of us, that's our conversion story. I don't know about you. I don't, obviously, I don't never asked you how you came to faith in Christ, but I would, if I was a betting man, I'm a Christian, so I'm not, obviously, I would bet there's probably more than one person involved. Right. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, but most of my parents, yes, big influence. Certain youth leaders, big influences. Certain friends, big influences. There were a range of things there before finally I went forward at a youth camp in my mid teens. I gave my life to Christ. So all of us know this actually deep down because that's genuine, generally our story. And it takes the pressure off. It's thoroughly biblical. 
Paul talks about in one of his letters, you know, one man waters, another man plants, another man harvests. And as I say, it also recognizes the different gifts and the way that God brings people together at different times. So yeah, it begins mm-hmm. thinking about what, how can I be the best ambassador to Christ I can be to my friends? How can I be praying that God will use me to move them along closer to him, but then let me relax and not be stressed out if God has got somebody else in mind to walk that person across the finishing line. Because when we all stand there before the throne and the new heavens and the new earth, we're not going to worry about the fact that, well, I did a bit of this and you did a bit of that. We're all going to be rejoicing together that we're all mm-hmm. part of God's family and our stories will intersect in beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our time is quickly drawing to a close. Uh, I wish I could have another couple hours with you to talk through your book. Uh, It has been just, again, fantastic. I was telling um, Andy earlier that as I started reading the, the advanced review copy, it was so good that I started reading it with my wife, just reading it out a few chapters every night. Um, She's greatly enjoying it. So as we wrap up, Andy, if people want to learn more about you and your work with Solas, uh, where would you send them? So the best way to uh, to find me is to dig out the Solas website, but that can be a bit of a mouthful to remember. I'm sure you guys have put a link in the show notes, but just Google mm-hmm. Andy Bannister and then speaker. Uh, that will get you to the Solas website and my website. Or you, could, you mm-hmm. can just Google Andy Bannister and Solas, S-O-L-A-S. You'll find the website. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter. Or whatever it's called now. It's not Twitter now. It's just now X. They've rebranded yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Very exciting. Um, but yeah, you'll find us <laughs> online. And when you go to the Solas website, by the way, there are, similar to your website, but there are thousands mm-hmm. of hours of great resources there related to and around the books. So if you want to go deeper into sharing faith, if your friends have got questions you're not sure about, we've got a whole Have You Ever Wondered series that we did last year where we've got 30 different topics where we show you how you can start have you ever wondered conversations around everything from music to sport to movies to you name it mm-hmm. um so yeah do come and check out the website and uh, and check out the book too well that book is how to talk about jesus without looking like an idiot a panic-free guide to having natural conversations about your faith i love the cover by the way all these words do not panic plastered everywhere. It is a really great book. It, it does a really good job of take really taking that panic out of what a lot of Christians find scary. And so I highly encourage you to pick up a copy. Uh, you can find it really anywhere where you buy books, whether you go to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. But I really encourage you to go out there and pick up a copy. You'll thank yourself for it. And thank Andy for writing that book. Andy, Thank you so much again for taking the time to come on the show and talk to our listeners. It has been a wonderful pleasure. It's been a wonderful pleasure too, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. All right. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now.